This morning, God's Word comes to us from the letter of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin our reading at verse 12 and then read through the end of this chapter. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. What we hear now is God's Word. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of the Trinity Psalter to page 855 in the back section. This is the Belgic Confession, and this morning I'll read for you Article 3, which is entitled, The Written Word of God. From page 855 in the back section at the bottom of the first column, we confess that this word of God was not sent nor delivered by the will of men, but that holy men of God spoke, being moved by the Holy Spirit, as Peter says. Afterwards, our God, because of the special care he has for us and our salvation, commanded his servants, the prophets and apostles, to commit this revealed word to writing, He himself wrote with his own finger the two tables of the law. Therefore, we call such writings holy and divine scriptures. This is our confession of faith. Well, we have seen that the Belgic Confession begins with the most basic and primary truths that we are to know. It begins by reminding us of who God is. 
uh, glorious and majestic God. And then goes on to talk about how God chooses to reveal Himself to us. And we talked last time about how He reveals Himself to us in two ways. He reveals Himself in all that He has made. He reveals Himself in creation around us. And we call that general revelation. God also reveals Himself more particularly, more clearly, uh, in His Holy Word. And we call that special revelation. And it is that special revelation that the confession now is going to focus on uh, for the next several articles, the perfections of the Word of God. It is a word that is inspired, it is a word that is authoritative, and it is a word that is sufficient. And those are what, what, we, what we will look at in the next couple of weeks together. I've encouraged you uh, kids to try to guess uh, what text I might preach on as we go through the Belgic Confession. And if you read the confession before this morning, uh, the text today does not surprise you at all because it's referenced in Article 3 itself. We confess that the Word of God was not sent or delivered by the will of men, but that holy men of God spoke, being moved by the Holy Spirit, as Peter says. This is the referent. This is what the confession's talking about, about this second letter of Peter, and particularly uh, verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This text speaks about the fact that the Word of God is inspired the inspiration of the Word of God. It's a confession that's been made by the Christian church for many, many years. What do we mean when we say that the Word of God is inspired? Well, Peter, as he is explaining this truth, um, begins in verse 12 to say this, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter says, I'm going to remind you of the truth that you already know. And I take, I take as a minister of the Word, I take great comfort in a verse like this. Because as I was preparing this sermon for today, I, I couldn't help but think to myself, there's nothing new here. I have nothing new for you today. You have, uh, throughout the years, been well instructed on the nature of the inspiration of Scripture. What could I offer that would add to that? But Peter reminds me, perhaps reminds you as well, I'm not here to add something. But many times, simply to remind you of the truth which you already know that the Word of God is inspired. A confession that we make, but it's a truth that stands the test of time. What is it we mean when we have this reminder that, that the Word of God is inspired? We do not mean, when we say the Word of God is inspired, we do not mean 
that what happened was God spoke the word and the authors, somewhat like a secretary, simply wrote down everything that God said, in which the, the human authors become no more than, uh, than glorified typewriters, or perhaps I should, I should say laptops, for what God is saying, simply transcribing his word. Uh, we refer to that view as mechanical inspiration, that God spoke and the men simply took notes and wrote down everything that God said to them. That is not our confession, what we mean when we say the Word of God is inspired. If I can put it this way, and I'll qualify this in just a moment, a view of mechanical inspiration is overly divine. And that will make sense to you in just a moment. As we contrast that with another view of inspiration, often referred to as dynamic inspiration. Not mechanical, but dynamic inspiration. And when we use the term dynamic inspiration, uh, this is also something we would not ascribe to. When we say the Word of God is inspired, we almost mean it's inspiring. Uh, perhaps you've gone to... Um, hear a lecture at some point, or, or hear a powerful speaker speak on whatever topic it might be, and you walk out and you're saying, I was so moved, I was so inspired. As if the Word of God is simply inspiring words of men. That these men were able to write a very moving message, and we are inspired by the dynamic message given to us. If I can say it this way, uh, dynamic inspiration is overly human. A mechanical, overly divine. The men just sit and, sit, sit and took notes. Dynamic, overly human. It's simply the words of men. Inspiring words, encouraging words, dynamic words, but the words of men alone. Our understanding of inspiration, the reminder that I give to you this morning, we refer to that as organic inspiration. Organic children means living. That the Bible was inspired, meaning it was absolutely under the control of God. He controlled the men that were writing it, but he used different human writers to write his message down. And he used the particular personalities of those writers to write his message down. Probably the most obvious evidence of organic inspiration that God used the, particular, the particularities of the men that he chose is the fact that the Bible was written originally in Hebrew and in Greek. Now, hypothetically, Hypothetically, the Bible could have been written in English, and every seminarian would have rejoiced at not having to learn Greek and Hebrew. But God used the men, and that's what they were speaking, and that's what they were writing. And so while it was completely under God's control, he used the characteristics of the men to write his message. This is why, kids, we have four different Gospels. Ever wonder that? Why are there four Gospels? There's only one book of Acts. There's only one book of Revelation. 
Uh, why four different Gospels telling us the same story? Because God used the particularities of the men to highlight certain things. We think of the Gospel of Luke, Dr. Luke. Luke says, I'm going to write a careful, orderly account of what has taken place. I love Dr. Luke. He's careful. He's orderly. He's structured. We think of uh, Matthew. Matthew writes, and his point is to show how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, which is why so often he says, as it is written in the prophets, God used this particular man to write the message. We think of John, the theologian, who gives the most theological picture of who Jesus was and what he came to do. God used four different men, all the word of God, but he used their particular personalities organic inspiration. Some of the mystery of the Word of God being inspired is that he used fallible men to write an infallible document. Only God can do that. He was in control of all of it. And God's control, the extent of his inspiration, was not only in the thoughts of men, that they just gave us good thoughts, but the very words they wrote are the word of God. Uh, there are several times when Jesus is discussing with the, the scribes and the Pharisees about what stands written, what the word of God says, and the argument turns on one word. What we have in the scriptures, we might say, is not only the word of God, we have the words of God. God used these particular men to write down holy inspired words, His words, to us, His people. We talk about plenary verbal inspiration, the fullness of Scripture, not simply the thoughts of Scripture, the fullness of the words of Scripture inspired coming from God Himself. Now certainly there continue to be challenges to that view of inspiration today. We hear of words like limited inerrancy, that the Bible is limited in its uh, capability of having error. Well, you know, kids, if the Bible is limited in its ability to have no error, it means it has some error. <laughs> there is some error that is there. We would not hold that position. It is the very Word of God. People will say, look, there, there, I would believe the Word of God, but there's just too many contradictions in God's Word. I hope I hope that if someone comes to you and says, I would believe the Word of God, but there's too many contradictions, the very first thing out of your mouth is, show me one. Show me one. Because many times, they have not read the Scripture. Simply heard, there's lots of contradictions there. But ask them, show me one place in Scripture where it contradicts itself. It is the very Word and words of God. Too often we concede the argument. Someone says there's lots of errors in Scripture. We say, yeah, I know, but we accept it by faith. Don't concede the argument. There are no contradictions in the Word of God. And in those few, in those very few instances where it appears there may be a contradiction, we simply concede our limited understanding. The Word of God is perfect. It is the Word of God itself. How could it be less? 
And if I cannot understand how it all goes together, then I don't blame the Word of God for that. We do not sit in judgment upon God's Word. God's Word sits in judgment upon us. The Word of God is inspired. I remind you of that which you already know. Because even in the church, there's a loss of confidence in the fidelity and the truthfulness of God's Word. And so Peter says, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. A necessary reminder, God's Word is inspired. Peter says, and it's a faithful witness to what took place. Verse uh, 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He says the Bible is not simply a bunch of man-made myths. It is not man's understanding of who we think God might be. It's not man-made theology. And he warns there will become those who want to try to change the theology of the church to a man-made theology. That's the beginning of chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. He warns in the church, there there will come those who will challenge the perfection of the inspired Word of God, even challenging the most fundamental truths given to us there. And so he says, no, no, you can be sure that what we taught you uh, is not these man-made myths. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Verse 17, for when He received honor and glory from God the Father, The voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. He is referring kids to the mountain of transfiguration. When they heard the voice from heaven commending Jesus. And Peter was one of those who was there. He said we were there. We were eyewitnesses and and we ourselves heard the voice. doesn't say we heard about the voice. We ourselves heard the voice. We are telling you this is absolutely true. We saw it. We heard it. It is not a myth. It is completely reliable. And then I'm always amazed. After declaring the fact that I saw it myself, I heard it myself. He goes on to say this. He will say in verse 19, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. 
Our confession says in uh, the second part of this article, afterward our God, because of the special care he has for us and our salvation, commanded his servants, the prophets and apostles, to commit this revealed word to writing. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He says, we are even more sure that Jesus is who he says he is, not because we saw it, not because we heard it, but because we have read the prophets. The prophetic word more fully confirmed even than our own eyesight even then our own ears. We can be sure this Jesus is who he says he is because the prophets told us. The prophets who God commanded to write down a faithful witness to Jesus Christ. More certain than our eyes, more certain than our ears, God, the divine author of Scripture. That's where Peter's confidence is. Not even in the things he himself saw, there is a more sure, more confirmed witness than what I experienced, and that is the very Word of God written. We have the prophetic Word, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. What an understatement. We have the very Word of God given to us through the prophets to which you will do well to pay attention. The prophets who witnessed to the coming of Jesus Christ, who spoke about God's chosen who would come and who did come, as we read earlier tonight, this morning, not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. To show that all the words were true, are reliable, can be trusted, because God is the author of Scripture. You would do well to pay attention to them as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And the Word of God is like that lamp. The Psalms pick up that language. The Word of God like a lamp to our feet like a light to our path, teaching us how to walk, teaching us how to live. God gives us the path and guides us on the path. God himself as the divine author of Scripture. And he concludes this section with this, verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Now, this text has been misused in the past. <clears throat> it has been misused to say that, that individuals themselves uh, cannot read the Scriptures and understand clearly what the Scripture says. No, if you want to understand what the Scripture says, then you have to have the church interpret it for you. And the church will tell you what the Word of God says. And it comes as no surprise to you when I tell you that is the position of the Roman Catholic Church. The church will tell you what God's Word says. But the beauty of the Reformation is that it returned the Word of God into the hands of the people. 
You yourself can read this holy word and when governed and guided by the Spirit of God will be led into all truth. You don't need the church to mediate it for you. You have immediate access to the word of God. He further explains this, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. No, this is not simply the words of man. This is the word of God. It is not written by the will of man. It is written by the Spirit of God. As these, as these men were carried along by the Spirit. I love the image that is given to us here, being carried along by the Spirit. You can think of it, kids, like a, like a boat on a river. Now, a boat on a river has a certain amount of freedom. The shape of the boat, the size of the boat, the contents of the boat will, will determine how the boat's going to go down the river. But, but the river is that which bounds the boat. It can't go outside of that. That is something of a picture of inspiration. God used different individuals who will write in different ways, who will see different things, but all of that within the bounds, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Men were carried along by the Spirit that they spoke the Word of God. And so we are called to listen carefully. This is the Word of God, not the Word of men. And so we need to listen carefully when that word of God is preached. It is not the minister's job to give his opinion about what the word of God might say or to make a guess about what the text does say. It is his, it is his obligation under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to declare the word of God to God's people. And we must demand nothing less that what we get from the pulpit, from the preaching of the word, we can be confident it is the Word of God explained and applied in our hearts and lives. It is here that we see the glorious promise of the Gospel, a promise given so long ago, but fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that for all who repent, for all who believe, He is a sinner's Savior. And so He calls us once again today to put our faith and hope in Him. I can say to you with absolute confidence, if you place your, Je your hope in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you will be saved. Not because I say it, but because the Word of God itself says it. It is God's Word, and absolutely reliable. And when God calls us to, to live in a way that's pleasing to Him, because that will be the path of righteousness and blessing, I can assure you of that as well. Not because I think you should live a certain way, but because God Himself has revealed the path of righteousness, and we know it, and we trust it. We are entering into a week of preparation for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. We will once again look at our lives in light of this holy, inspired word. And then we see where we fall short, where we have sinned. Rather than be discouraged, we look past that to the other promises in Scripture. 
that God will wash us from all of our sins. He will cleanse us for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we hold on to that sure promise, a promise guaranteed in God's inspired Word, so we can come next Sunday with joy and celebrate the Supper of our Lord. The Word of God is inspired. Not the thoughts of men, not something moving to us, but the Word of God and the words of God, written by men, carried along by the Spirit. And so when God makes the promise of the gospel that for all who repent, for all who believe, you will be saved, you know it is true. And when God calls us to holy living, we would do well to pay attention for that call comes from God himself. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for the beauty of your word. We thank you for the reliability of your word. It is that which we can trust. And so we thank you for the promises. We thank you for the calls. We thank you for the admonitions. We thank you for the corrections. For these come to us from you. Oh, make us good students of that word, oh God. Help us to pay attention that your word might be to us as a lamp shining in a dark place. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.